tonight we're going to discuss a midrash that relates to Yom Kippur. Uh, this is a midrash from Pirkei Rabbi Eliezer, uh, chapter 46. It is a, there are a bunch of midrashim about Yom Kippur in that same chapter. There's a lot of interesting agadot and midrashim in Pirkei Rabbi Eliezer, and they're mostly written in regular Hebrew as opposed to Aramaic, so they're pretty accessible to common, you know, average uh, student who wants to read them. It's not such difficult language. Um, this Midrash is somewhat of a well-known one. One reason that it's somewhat well-known is that the Ramban actually quotes it and talks about it in some detail in Parashat Acharimot, which is the parasha that we read in the morning of Yom Kippur. The Ramban speaks about it and he um, interprets it in a Kabbalistic way. We're not exactly going to follow the way of the Ramban. He's working with a different framework. He's working within a different set of premises and within a different uh, school of thought that requires acceptance and understanding of Kabbalistic ideas that are beyond us. We're just going to take the Midrash as it is and try to interpret it in line with how the Rambam implies that should be interpreted. Now, I don't recall anywhere where the Rambam explicitly addresses this Midrash, but he does give a lot of hints and a lot of examples of how one would approach a Midrash like this. And the benefit of it is that it's without any additional assumptions that you have to make. So we're not saying Kabbalah is wrong or anything like that. We're just saying that Kabbalah makes additional assumptions and you have to be initiated into the framework of Kabbalah in order to understand the ideas that are being uh, discussed in a Kabbalistic setting. We don't have that. So we're just going for the face value and trying to understand it according in the spirit of what the Rambam teaches is the way to unlock this Agadot. Now this Agadah in particular, especially as it's expressed in the Ramban, was one of the first Midrashim that I remember really being initiated into maybe 30-something years ago, 30-plus years ago, uh, by my own teacher. So, it's, uh, so I'm sure, I'm 100% sure that in the explanation of the Agadah uh, that I'm going to offer, there's going to be uh, credit due to other people. This is not my original explanation. I may add to it along the way. I might, you know, any errors, blame me for anyone listening to the recording, but like my teacher, Rabbi Chait, I learned it from him many, many, many years ago, decades ago, from an essay that he wrote, I think. I don't, I, it was either an essay he wrote or a shiur that I heard many, many, many years ago, decades ago. And uh, I'm probably adding to it. He was learning it inside the Ramban, although he didn't really deal with the Kabbalistic aspects of the Ramban. He more approached the Midrash that we were going to approach it. And so... I'm sure I'm influenced by the ideas that he impressed upon me then, and although I'm sure I'm also going to add some aspects of my own. But I wanted to just mention that it's sort of like a... uh, One of the reasons why I never teach this Midrash is because just because I learned it at a young age, I kind of just assumed, yeah, everybody knows what this Midrash means because I was taught it at such a young age, the meaning of the Midrash. But I think it it, it does... It's worth going over. So... In any case, we know that on Yom Kippur, among the highlights of the service of the, uh, and, and among the highlights and among the mysterious aspects of the service of Yom Kippur that is recounted in the Musaf Tefillah that we have nowadays on Yom Kippur, we recount the entire service of the Kohen Gadon Yom Kippur. And among the interesting features that the Torah describes of this Avodah, which is very striking, is the taking of the two goats. One gets assigned Lashem, one gets assigned Azazel. So that's, and it's assigned by lottery that they bring, you know, they, it doesn't say in the Torah exactly how it was done, 
the, the Gemara explains how exactly it was done, and the, and, and the, the Seder Avodah that we read on Yom Kippur Day during the Musaf also describes how it was done. The point is it was assigned by lottery. One is, the, you know, the, the, whichever uh, the lot for, as, for Hashem comes up over that goat, that goat becomes Lashem, and the other one goes Lazazek. Um, but the Kohen doesn't pronounce L'Azazel over the goat. He only pronounces L'Shem Chatat. And then the other one by the way, is, is, that has the, the piece that says L'Azazel. So it goes to Azazel. Okay? What does Azazel mean? Nowadays L'Azazel means like go to hell. You know, it's a bad word in uh, modern Hebrew. But uh, if you know what happens to the goat, you can understand why they use that term. Because the goat meets a very unhappy fate of uh, falling over a cliff and being dismembered by the rocks on its way down. So it's, you know, if you're wishing that upon somebody, you're saying go to, you know, the worst imaginable place. That's what they say nowadays when they want to curse somebody out. Uh, but that's not what the meaning was in the Torah. The Mepharshim the, the of the Pshat of Lazazel and like the Unculus and so on, they describe it as a kind of a, either a desolate place or as a, a, you know, with jagged rocks. You know, Rashi explains it as a sort of a cliff with rocks. Um, it's not a, it doesn't have any, uh, let's say, supernatural connotation. But there are those who say La'azazel is a reference to some kind of a being. La'azazel. Okay, because it almost sounds like that. It says, send, you know, one is for Hashem. The one is for Azazel. Now, if you want to be a skeptic or, or you want to limit the amount of supernatural elements of the story, you'll say, well, Azazel just means one is going to the cliff. It means going to the cliff. Like Rashi explains, like Uncle Lutz explains, it means going to the cliff or it's being cast out into the wilderness, is what they did in the, in the desert when they didn't have a cliff, right? But Lazazel can also be interpreted differently. The Ibn Ezra says there's a hint to what Lazazel means. If you count a certain number of, of psukim, you'll find the hint. He talks about it. And you see that it's talking about Sirim, it's talking about demons. Now, not that the demons are real, but meaning that it's talking about there about how the Jews strayed after the worship of demons. Right? And Azazel, Ez, and Sa'ir, they both mean a goat. And the demons were envisioned as goats, you know, wild goats. That was the image of the, uh, of the demons that they, would, that they would use. And so he's saying it's a type of a demon. Right? It's a type of a demon that's being imagined. Now, obviously, the Ibn Ezra didn't think that there was actually demons that were being, uh, you know, that, that people could worship and that would help them and things like that. But um, the Torah is prohibiting the worship of demons. And here he's saying that Azazel is also referring to the same kind of a thing. Now the Midrash also takes that approach because it says that Azazel is actually Satan. It actually means the Satan, whatever that is. So let's take a look at what the Midrash, the Midrash picks up from that. What is this Azazel? That's the aspect of the pasuk that the Midrash is going on. What is this Lazazel? Is it just a physical location? Which we can take and we can take a minimal approach like what Rashi actually takes. Or is it a being? Like a person might assume. So Amar Samael lefnei HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This is what Midrash says. Samael, which is another word of the, for the Satan, says before the Holy One of us, over all of the uh, idolatrous nations, you gave me power over all of them. But you don't give me power over the Jewish people. Hashem said to the Satan, I'll give you one day a year, Yom Kippur, you could have power over them. However, that's only that's only if they have a sin. If they have any sins, then you can have power over them. 
if they don't have any sins, then you're not going to be able to have power over them. Therefore, we send a bribe to Satan on Yom Kippur. That's what it's saying. So that he won't interfere with or interrupt the Jewish people. So that he won't interfere with the service of Hashem that's going on on Yom Kippur. Because it says one lot goes for Hashem and one goes for Azazel. In other words, they're a match. So we want to serve Hashem on the day of Yom Kippur. So in order to, it's like if a dog is bothering you, right? The dog keeps coming to the table. Everyone is trying to eat. Dog bothering, bothering, bothering. What do you do? Throw a piece of food far away from the table, right? The dog will run away. Then you can be undisturbed and you can do what you want to do. Right? So if the Satan is lying in wait and trying to trip us up and trap us and ruin us, and cause us to do a sin so he can have power over us on Yom Kippur, what do we say? We want to distract the Satan so we throw him a piece of meat. That's what it's saying. Right? That's what the Midrash is saying. Goal shel HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Right? A korban. It goes as a korban. The goal of Hashem is a korban. The goal of Hashem is a korban. All of the sins of the Jewish people are on that, uh, the seir, the, the, the chatat that we send to Samael, which is the Satan. Because they sent all of the sins to him, basically. So now they don't have any. So what does he do? Amar lefanav, he says before Hashem, Ribono shalolam. All of a sudden the Satan starts saying good things about us. Oh, you have a nation that's like the angels in heaven. Just like the, the Malachim don't have knees, they don't bend their knees. The Jewish people are standing all day. Just like the angels don't eat or drink. Just like the angels are free of any sin. The Jews are free of sin. The Jews are at peace with one another on Yom Kippur. So, the, Jewish, the angels are at peace with each other. We're at peace with each other. Hashem ends up hearing the prayer of the Jews from their own accuser. Right? Meaning the, the accuser himself ends up saying, Oh, they're so great. And then he gives a kapara to everyone. So this is very interesting. So as according to the Midrash, we manipulate the Satan, we, we bribe him, and then we manipulate the Satan into praising us and praying on our behalf in the, uh, in, and, and saving us from the judgment of Hashem. Right? So... Uh, and just as a point, it says, It's not really a korban ola, it's also a korban chatat, what goes to Hashem. But it means it goes up as a korban. It's offered to God. The other one doesn't really offer to God. It's pushed off a cliff. So, according to this Midrash, we're sending a bribe to Satan on, on, on Yom Kippur. Now, that's very strange. On the holiest day of the year, it's basically, we're worshipping another God? We're sending a gift to a, a, to a different being? We're sending a gift to Satan on Yom Kippur. So, on the day it's supposed to be the holiest day, we're doing a sin... And then what does the sin do? It causes the Satan to praise us and say we're great. And we have no sins. Because he received all the sins on the Sa'ir that we sent to him. So it seems a little bit strange. Doesn't he realize that the sins that we sent to him are, this, are our sins? 
So what does it mean we don't have any sins? He's really, he must not be that bright, this Satan. Right? Because he, we, we only tricked him. We, we just put the sins, so to speak, metaphorically, put them on this goat. We send it to him. He's like, wow, the Jews have no sins. Yeah, because they're right in front of you, buddy. Right? Why, why, why are you not paying attention? See what I'm saying? It's very strange. And then he starts saying, oh, they don't eat and drink and they're so great. And they, they don't bend their knees, meaning they don't sit down. They're praying all day. They're, they're getting along with each other. I mean, why? Just because we, we sent him a goat? That's what he changes his tune. Very strange. So the Midrash obviously cries out for explanation. What does it even mean to send a, a gift to the Satan? We know that the Gemara says elsewhere that Satan, who Satan, who Yetzirah, who Malachamavet, that really the Satan is an internal force. It's not really an external force. It's talking about our nature, our physicality is the Satan. That's why the Satan is the Yetzirah. That's where the instinct comes from. And it's also, Malachamavet is the reason we die, because our physicality, our mortality, that's why we die. Right? So, Samael, by the way, the Rambam mentions Samael is the Satan. Samael, uh, the Rambam talks about also in the context of, the reason why we know that the Rambam interprets Samael as being the, the, the Yetzirah or the Satan is because when he talks about the story of, of Gan Eden, and it talks about how the Satan was riding on the snake in Gan Eden, he says, it uses the word Samael there also. Why is it Samael? Because so, uh, so, because lisame is to be blind. It blinds the person from God. Samael. It doesn't mean it blinds God, obviously. It means it blinds us from God. Right? It overshadows God. It prevents us from recognizing God. The physicality that drags us down, that interferes. Okay? So what's going on here? The Satan wants to rule over us. And he demands some, some power. So Hashem says you can rule over them on Yom Kippur if they don't have any sins. So what do we do? We're so smart that we send him a bribe, but it's actually all of our sins on the back of a goat. And then he starts speaking about how amazing we are. So he forgot his whole agenda of trying to control us because now he's on the other side and he's telling us how holy we are and we're like Malachim. Very strange Midrash. What really is the lesson of this Midrash? So the Ramban has a whole Kabbalistic interpretation like I mentioned. But just on the pshat level, I think we can understand what it's talking about and why it is that the Satan himself is the one saying all the praises of the Jews. Why is it not the Jews? Why does the Satan have to say it? And what does it even mean to send a korban to the Satan? What does it even mean? So if we think that, if we realize, if we make the move that the Satan is really something inside of us. Right? Really the Satan is a force inside of us. And... Yom Kippur, as much as it is a day of holiness, as much as it is a day that we transcend our physicality, for that very reason, it's a day that highlights the physicality. Because it highlights the fact that there's a limit to how much we can transcend our physicality. We know that as soon as Yom Kippur is over, we're going to run back to eat and we're going to run back to resume our regular life. And Right after, even though the Jews spent three days preparing for Har Sinai, what happens at the end of Har Sinai? Shuvu lechem lechem. Go back to your tents. It's over. Only Moshe Rabbeinu will do for 40 days and 40 nights. And then, but everybody else, Shuvu lechem lechem. Go back to your tents after three days. Meaning once the moment of holiness is over, you go back. Because we're human. And the Rambam says that's true of all Nevi'im. Even a Navi, When they're in their moment of having Nevi'ah, they're at this high state. But then they go back to regular life. That doesn't mean they go back to a... Uh, animalistic life, but it means that they, you know, they're physical. They're physical beings. They have all those constraints. So Yom Kippur is a day that as we recognize the transcendence of Hashem, we recognize, we yearn to connect to Hashem, 
But in the process of doing that, we highlight our own limitations. We feel our own limitations. We feel what actually is holding us back. And a person, and this is something that happens, let's say in the Catholic Church, or in any kind of religion that practices like uh, you know, asceticism or you know, self-denial, right? What happens is there's a denial of the physicality of the person. You can live without the physical. You can be purely spiritual. You can be a priest, right? Who doesn't marry, who doesn't, who's a monk, who doesn't marry, doesn't speak, doesn't partake of the physical except beyond the minimal. All he does is pray all day. You can be like that. What ends up happening to those people? Either they already are psycholog- have psychological problems before they get there or they develop an effort, right? Not normal. It's not normal. So we know that, but there's this idea that it's possible for a person to overcome, to deny their physicality. And Yom Kippur is a day of truth. Yom Kippur is not a day that we're in denial. Yom Kippur is a day of truth. So we are in the mode that as much as we're acknowledging God, we're also acknowledging the reality of the Yetzirah. We're acknowledging that it's real. And we're acknowledging the power that it has over us. Potentially or actually. So the idea of sending a gift to the Satan means acknowledging the Satan. We're acknowledging it. We realize our limitations. We realize we're caught between a rock and a hard place, as they say in, uh, you know, in, in a nonsensical American, you know, English idiom, right? We're, we, we, we're caught between two, two opposing forces. We're caught between this desire to connect to God, on the other hand. We're caught between an animalistic drive to just wildly abandon ourselves to instincts and forget about all this God stuff and just, you know, gratify ourselves and, and, and ignore God, Samael, blind ourselves from God and just live in the instinct. That's what we want to do. So by acknowledging it, that is the reality, that itself lifts us up. When you're in denial, you're always worse off. Ignorance is not bliss. Being in denial is worse. So what do we do? We embrace the Satan on on Yom Kippur. We say, yes, we know he exists. We know that the aspect of us that is self-destructive, that is instinctual, that is mortal, is a big obstacle to us in our service of God. And on this day, we even send him a little gift. Not because he's a real being. What it means is we're acknowledging. What's the shochad? What does it mean to give a... uh, uh, We're we're giving him a gift. And you know what happens when you acknowledge something? When you acknowledge a truth? Now you can make peace with it. Right? As long as you're in denial about something, you can't integrate it into the other things and to other truths that you you know. Because you're in denial about it. So you, because you're not able to accept it, you're not able to assimilate it into your view of, of reality. If you acknowledge the power of the Satan, and you acknowledge, what does is, what is that goat symbolize? That goat symbolizes that a person who lives the life of the total in, of instinctuality, that if we allow that aspect of ourselves to control our lives, we will go off a cliff without even realizing it. Without even knowing where we're going, suddenly we'll be pushed off a cliff and we will, we will fall apart. It's leading to destruction. It's leading to fan- the life of fantasy and mirage and illusion leads to destruction, self-destruction. That's the idea. 
of the, of, that's why it's a korban, it's an acknowledgement of the satan. It's an acknowledgement of the fact that there's something in us that wants to be samael, that wants to blind us from reality, even though we're on an autopilot trajectory to self-destruction. There's a real part of us like that. We should acknowledge it. On Yom Kippur is the best time to acknowledge it. Because when we're thinking about all the chata'im, we're saying, Asham, no bagad, no gazan, all these things, what are we really saying? We're saying there's a part of us that is continually pulling us away from the truth. Continually pulling us away from awareness of God. There's a part of us that wants to connect with God. What happens to that? That's symbolized by the goat that is a korban. That actually is a korban that goes to God. That's, the, that's why you have these two Two goats, and they're just randomly assigned, one to one, one to the other. What does that mean? It's the same energy. It's the same energy. It's the same thing. It's the same sayer. One pulls the person to off a cliff. The other one moves the person towards God. Both of them require harnessing. You can't just let your religious fervor propel you forward, because that's what Nadav and Avihu did, and that led to their destruction too. You need to harness it properly. You need to work with it. You need to take your religious excitement, your desire to connect to God and manage it and properly proceed in your service of God. You can't just allow emotion to take you over there either. But at least that emotion is facing you in the right direction. It's facing you towards Hashem. That same psychological energy can be faced away from God towards Azazel. And the Satan can take over. So the Satan is saying to Hashem, all the other nations of the world, you give me power over them. Why? Why? What does it mean? Because they don't have the ability even to think about it. They're just functions of their instinctual makeup. They're not really exercising their free choice because they don't have the, the wisdom and the self-awareness and the consciousness to be able to decide differently than what their emotions and what their instincts tell them. Yeah, they live in civilization, so you know the instincts are somewhat moderated and, 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 and their desires are somewhat limited by the fact that they've made a decision to live in a civilized, in the civilized world. But why do they really make the decision to live in the civilized world? Like we learned about when we learned about Oak. They make that decision because it's a good trade-off, because it's a good deal. Because since I live in a civilization, people can't hurt me. So I'll give up a little bit of my freedom. They give up a little bit of their freedom. We all get to get along so that we can each independently pursue happiness, which is the cynical American way of saying pleasure. Right? Now, that's what Azazel, though, is about. Azazel is about how we can be blinded from any higher reality, follow a fantasy, and without even realizing it, everything is over. In a moment, everything is over, everything falls apart. Or a person can follow their desire to come closer to God, and as long as they follow the right procedures with humility and with proper study and with proper observance of mitzvot, and they don't just rush into the Kodesh HaKodeshim, but they do things according to the protocol, then they can have, they can take that same energy and it become, becomes energy of sanctity and holiness, right? But that's the idea here, that the nations of the world, they, they, Satan has complete power over them, right? They're completely driven by psychological forces that push them towards pleasure and the, you know, and fantasy. The Jewish people don't have that. Give me some power over them, right? So the idea is that the, that on this day of Yom Kippur, Hashem says to him, this is the day that you can have power over them. What does it mean that he can have power over us? Not that we're actually going to give him the reins of our life, but we're going to spend some time reflecting on the power 
that the Satan has in our, in our life. Right? We never, what he means is, because we follow Torah and mitzvot, the Satan never has free reign over us. He never has free reign over us. Okay, there's a battle with, there's a battle with the Yitzharah. Right? He never just gets to feel that he can kick back and control us, so to speak. It's a metaphor, right? It's a metaphor. Because why? Because we're always trying to follow the Torah and the mitzvot. So there's always a buffer, there's always a pushback. As opposed to the person who's just completely driven by their psychological and emotional and, and instinctual impulses. They don't have anything to moderate it. They don't have the Torah, they don't have mitzvot, they don't have kiddushah. Right? So, so what, the, what the Midrash is saying is that on Yom Kippur, we take a moment and we give some kavod to the satan. The satan's like, yeah, I get no respect. Like Rodney Dangerfield, the comedian, used to say. You know? I don't even remember him. I get no respect. They never respect me. I don't have any power. Okay, we'll give you some kavod. You get kavod on Yom Kippur. You are one of the main characters in the story of Yom Kippur. We're going to send you a beautiful care package of the Aseyul Azazel. It's all obviously symbolic, but the idea is we're going to give you acknowledgement. We normally don't acknowledge. We just try to fight against the satan. We just try to overcome the Yitzhara on a regular basis. And Yom Kippur, when we're basically in a controlled condition of fasting and praying and we're in Kanisan, we're not subject to the forces of the Satan, we can let our guard down and acknowledge the Satan without fighting him. Right? We can acknowledge the power that it has over us the rest of the year. How we have to struggle against it. So we're able to give it instead of actively fighting against it on Yom Kippur from a position of security in our Kiddushah on Yom Kippur we can look at the Satan and look him straight in the face so to speak and, and, and think about the complex ways in which our psychological makeup our instincts, our physicality influence us and, and, and be honest about that. Why? Because we're so separated from it right? when you're so separated from the physical that's when you can see it most objectively. So on Yom Kippur, we can see it most objectively because we're separate. We've gone to the other extreme on Yom Kippur. And what does the Satan say? Look at these people. They're like Malachim. Right? They're like Malachim. They're the Malachim. They don't eat or drink. And they stand all the time. Right? And, they, and they're pure from all sin. And they're getting along with each other. They don't have any petty differences between them. Okay? That meaning that we're able to achieve this very high level of Kiddushah on this day, which is really our, what we strive for. We strive as much as possible to live in accordance with our higher nature. But inevitably, we are in a struggle with the lower nature. Always. On this day, we, we see the division most clearly. We see the division between Bet HaMikdash and ascent to holiness and entry into the Kodesh HaKodeshim, we have one korban that's blood is going in the holiest place and another one that's going off a cliff. Two extremes. Two total extremes. Kohen Gadol, holiest person going in the Kodesh HaKodeshim and then a Seir getting thrown off a cliff to symbolize the other way. Right? We're, we're able to see our, and I think that that's there's a psychological truth to it. On Yom Kippur, people are able to look at their life the most objectively. We feel that we've taken a step back from life on Yom Kippur, taken a step back from all the struggles. Our instincts are, in a, are sort of abated on Yom Kippur. They're not influencing us as, as much because we're not eating, we're not drinking, we're not socializing much, we're praying most of the day. 
You know, our minds are in a different place on Yom Kippur. So because of that, we're able to see the reality also of the dark side, if you want to use that analogy, as well. You know, when we're, on, when we're involved in the struggle, we can't, we can't separate out the two elements as easily, but on Yom Kippur, we're able to. And that's the beauty of Yom Kippur. What Yom, what basic, and that's why it says, because Hashem hears our praise from the Satan, He says, now I'm going to forgive. What does it mean? It means that our honesty about our own vulnerability and our own limitations and our own physicality, that honesty is what gives us the kapara. If we were in denial and said, no, we are pure, we are perfect, we are malachim, we are, we are malachim all the time. Nothing can get us down. We are, uh, we are purely spiritual. We are priests. We are monks. Then, we're, then we're, that means that we're not really on the right path. What shows that we're on the right path? That we acknowledge there's a very pernicious, damaging force inside of us that we have to struggle against, that we have to overcome, that we have to take its energy and integrate into our personalities rather than let it control us. And we recognize how powerful that force is. It's so powerful that it can push a person, it can grip somebody in fantasy to the extent that it pushes them right over the cliff without them realizing it. You know? But acknowledging that is part of what Yom Kippur is about. What do we do on Yom Kippur? Two things. Acknowledge the transcendence of Hashem by saying all of these praises of God, by, spe- by having really elaborate Kiddushah. When we say Kiddushah, there's all these, all these uh, preludes to the Kiddushah of 10 pages before we say the Kiddushah. And at the same, and, and, and that's the coin, Gadol goes into the Kodesh Kodashim and he puts the, he puts the Ketoret and he says the real name of Hashem that we never pronounce. All of these things are accentuating, emphasizing the transcendence of God. And at the same time, we also focus on our humanity. We're saying Anna, we're saying the Vidui and the confession at every prayer. We're saying the Selichot. We're saying all of these things that focus us in on our own lack of kedusha on our own imperfection, our own defects, right? The depth of the limitations that are placed upon us by our physicality. And part of that in the, in the temple service, the way that that's shown is by the Sayyid Azazel, by acknowledging that. And where is it? It's outside the Beit HaMikdash, of course, meaning the things that are outside, the things that are outside of the framework of the Beit HaMikdash is the place that is organized around service of God. But there's a part of us that is not organized around service of God it's organized around something else, pursuing something else, the opposite, away from Samael, blinding us. Right? That is what the Azazel is, is supposed to be. So by personifying the Satan and saying, oh yeah, we acknowledge the Satan on Yom Kippur. He wants to have control over us. He can't have control over us. We never fully cede to him control and on Yom Kippur we take advantage of him. Meaning what? Meaning we can actually look him in the face on Yom Kippur. We, because we are so distant from influence of the Satan, we're able to send him a gift to say, we know you, we see you, we recognize that you exist. We know that there is a force within us like that that's looking to undermine us. That knowledge and that recognition, like we say all the, we say every sin, all these things, and we say, this and that. What does it mean? It means that we couldn't possibly have done Teshuvah for every one of the things on that list. Not possible. What does it mean? It means endless. It's endless. We know that there's an endless pit of instinctuality inside of us as human beings. That's what it means to acknowledge the Satan. Once you acknowledge the Satan, the Satan himself turns around and says, these people are like Malachim. 
Why? Because it is the fact that we can acknowledge the Satan and know it for what it is and say it for what it is and continue the struggle to harness that energy and turn it to the good. That's what makes us Ami. So that's what makes us worthy of Kapara. That we try to take that energy. Notice that the Satan becomes our friend. Starts praising us. When you can acknowledge something and name it, it's like a person goes to therapy. Person goes to therapy, they have psychological problems. A psych- good psychologist teaches you to identify what's really going on in your emotional life. What's really going on underneath the surface. When you become aware of it and you can label it and you can understand it, now it diffuses it. Right? You diffuse it by acknowledging it. You gain some power over it by acknowledging it. Now you can take the emotional energy that was wrapped up in some nonsense that you weren't even fully aware of. You weren't even fully cognizant. You didn't fully understand. Now you understand why you're doing those things. And now you can take that energy and you can more effectively direct it in the right path. And that's what it's saying that the Satan himself becomes your ally to be able to help you to, you know, to, to get the kapara. Does that mean the Satan is gone? Oh, of course not. He's going to try again next year. You know, going to try again the next minute. He's going to try again the next second. But... When we acknowledge the Satan and we're honest and we say, this is who we are as human beings. We are divided creatures. We are not simple creatures. We are not purely spiritual creatures. We're complicated creatures. Right? You have to look at the whole picture. We're able to call it what it really is, to acknowledge it for what it really is. That's what gives us the ability to overcome it, to rise above it. And hopefully to come, to inch a little bit closer to mastering it. Even if we never fully get to that point. But that's the beauty of the demonstration of Yom Kippur, that it highlights these two opposite poles of human existence. You know? And that's, I think, what the, what the Midrash is trying to get at. And I think it fits beautifully with the Midrash, that it personifies this force inside us. And that we're giving it a tribute. We're saying, you're right. Just like a person goes to therapy, they're acknowledging my unconscious world, my complicated emotional storm inside of me is having such an influence on me more than I even realize, more than I even could ever, uh, could ever grasp. And if I can acknowledge that and I can gain a little bit more insight and a little bit more understanding, I can become a little bit more psychologically healthy and a little bit more capable of managing those emotions and channeling them you know, towards the good. I, I think it's a beautiful, beautiful way of looking at it. I think it makes a lot of sense. With the Midrash, I don't have to bring in any kind of Kabbalah to be able to appreciate that perspective on the Midrash. Absolutely. So what are, you, what are you thinking? I think you have something that you want to say. Yeah. Go ahead. Everyone needs to see a therapist. <laughs> it helps. But I think a lot, even, even without that, even in your own life, you can be honest with yourself. And I think that's what it's part, part of this, this exercise is about. Being honest with yourself. Saying, yes, I realize. I have a tremendous desire for honor. I'm always looking for people to recognize me. I'm just giving an example. I'm always looking. I'm always trying to create situations where people are going to notice me. I just want to be honest with that. I need to be honest. That doesn't mean it's going to go away. Maybe it'll still be there, but I'll be more aware of it. And now that I'm more aware of it, I'll temper it a little bit. When you acknowledge the Satan, he becomes a little bit more manageable. You know, I realize I'm addicted to eating chocolate ice cream. I don't know. Anything. You know, I'm addicted to this, I'm addicted to that. Once you, or I realize I'm very impatient. I realize I have a temper and, uh, and, and I get offended easily and I, uh, I lash out. 
You, and, and I know why that is. It's because I, I, I'm insecure and I have bad low self-esteem. I, I'm just making something up, right? I'm making up an, a, pro, a psychological profile of a typical person. I realize I'm too controlling. I need to micromanage every little detail because, uh, you know, because, I, uh, because my ego is very big and I don't want anyone else to, to, to be involved and I think everybody else is lower than me and, I, and only I can do it, whatever. Right? So you become aware of these different defects in the personality. I'm lazy. I'm, I, 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 I don't put in the effort. I don't have the discipline to accomplish things. And I recognize that because I just want to sit back and I want things to be done for me. And I'm like, uh, I'm infantile uh, person. Whatever you acknowledge about yourself. That doesn't mean that the next second by you're giving a gift to the satan. You're saying, I see you. I recognize you. Right? That doesn't get you all the way to the promised land, as they say. But it gets you a lot closer than five minutes ago when you weren't acknowledging it at all. You weren't labeling it at all. You weren't saying its name and, 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 and becoming conscious of the reality of certain psychological or, let's say, instinctual or emotional or whatever elements of you that are pulling you away from becoming the best that you could be. Let's put it that way. And, I, and this is what, this is the genius of the Torah. The Torah tells a person to be honest about who they are inside and not to put on a front. You do have to abide by certain rules, but the inner process of becoming aware of who we really are, that's being symbolically portrayed to us in the Yom Kippur Avodah by the Kohen Gadol, sending out the Sir Lazazel, going into the Kodesh HaKodeshim, sending out the Sir Lazazel, these two different aspects of who we are, the part of us that is able to connect to God and the part of us that is running towards that cliff. I think it's a beautiful way of thinking of that Avodah and a beautiful aspect of Yom Kippur. And I think I'm going to actually probably incorporate some of that, those ideas into what I talk about on Yom Kippur because I think it's good for everybody to reflect on and have a more meaningful day because uh, if people are so busy trying to get through the pages of the Machzor that they don't take the time to really make this acknowledgement of the Satan, send this proper bribe to the Satan um, that, that they should be and, uh, and really engage with that, with that. It's a painful reality. You know, nobody wants to be like, I'm lazy, uh, I'm, I have a bad temper, uh, I'm, I'm gluttonous, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm disrespectful, I'm arrogant, whatever, whatever the defects are, people don't want to acknowledge it. Or maybe not even just with internal struggles, but like maybe like external struggles, like something about John was saying just last night, was talking, he was talking about putting a time to actually like be focused and not distracted and think about the inevitabilities of life and mm-hmm. think about th- things like the inevitability of uh, death, for, mm-hmm. for example. Which is part of that too, which is the, yeah. going over the cliff. Yeah, the common term. And just coming to terms with, with these things and not get distracted. Yeah, yeah. I, I That's true too. It all comes, it all comes though with, uh, it all comes from the same thing, meaning that a person... We live in a state of denial 99.9% of the time about our actual humanity. And humanity includes, obviously, our mind and soul, the good side, but 
that's what we prefer to think of as all that we are. But there's a, that's the tiny tip of the iceberg, and then like 99% of the rest of it is the deep, dark recesses of uh, who we are. And that is the physicality, and that is the part that is mortal, and that is the part that's vulnerable, and that is the part that involves death and suffering, all those things. So we don't want to think about those, those elements of ourselves. We prefer to push them out of our minds because the truth is that thinking about death or thinking about our own defects or own limitations is not very inspiring. It's pretty depressing. But when we do that, it actually empowers us to become better. And that's, that's what the, the Yom Kippur Avodah is ultimately trying to, to accomplish. To realize that, yes, your true essence is the spiritual. Your true essence is the mind, the soul that connects to God. But, that, but you're a human being, which means that that's not all that you are. Not, you don't exist as a malach. On Yom Kippur, we imitate the malachim. Like the Satan says here, we imitate the malachim. But that's not really who we are. That's what we yearn to be, meaning we yearn to be uh, living in accordance with our higher element as much as possible. But obviously we can't sustain Yom Kippur 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. We can't live like that. We're not really like Malachim. We're pointing towards this is what we yearn to be. We love to be on the level of Moshe Rabbeinu. We love to be on the level of Malachim. But the only problem is we're human beings and we have this whole other aspect of our nature that is fallible and flawed and physical and mortal and will die. But we don't like to think about that because it's, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to contend with it. But it actually empowers us to think about it. Enables us to do the job of serving God better by being honest about it. And that's what Yom Kippur is about. It's a day of truth. It's really a day of truth Truth about Hashem and truth about ourselves. And that's what the Midrash, I think, captures so nice. So, Bezrat Hashem, I mean, this is the last shore for this series. When I come back, Bezrat Hashem, whenever that is, I'm not sure exactly. But when I do come back after uh, going back to Israel, uh, hopefully we'll continue the series with other Midrashim. I wanted something connected to Yom Kippur for tonight. Yeah, the series is going to last so far.